0: Alright, let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of John, the book of John, John chapter 1, John chapter 1, love the words to that song, John chapter 1, John chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse number 1, love the, ver- the words to this chapter also in the Bible, John chapter 1 beginning in verse number 1, once you find it, if you're able to, go ahead and stand in reverence to God's word, Obviously, if not, just follow along with us. John chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. John chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Now he, that is John, was not that light. We know that because Jesus is the light. But John was sent to bear witness of that light. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to your word and receive the truth, Lord God, and know that it is truth. Lord, I pray now that as you give us the truth this morning, Lord God, that we would receive it gladly. And, Father, that we would apply it. And, Lord God, that we would do according to your will. I pray that you would just bless this time. And, Father, if there's anyone who does not know Christ as Savior, who is listening or watching or who is here this morning, I do pray, Father God, you'd cause them to see their need. And, Lord, get that need taken care of today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. You know, in the first chapter of the book of John, John uses some interesting metaphors to describe Jesus. The first metaphor used is the term word, and we see it right away. In the beginning was the word. Of course, this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 14 tells us that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That there is is god incarnate you know really that is what we celebrate on christmas we we celebrate the incarnation of god god becoming uh, man and dwelling among us thus the name emmanuel god with us john will repeatedly or will repeatedly refer to jesus as the word And would continue to do so even in his later writings. Why? Decades later after he would write the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 verse number 1 begins by saying, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. That's John describing his relationship with Jesus during his earthly ministry. We've seen him, we've heard him, uh, we walked with him, we talked with him, we hugged him, we handled him, and he is the word of life. You know, some words are hurtful, other words are very destructive. But John describes the word, Jesus Christ, as the word that gives life, the word of life. Well, the second metaphor we see that John uses to describe Jesus is light. Not only does he describe him as the word, but he also describes describes him as the light. And the Bible tells us that in him was life and that life was the light of men. And then he goes on to describe John the Baptist in his ministry. Now he says John the Baptist, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light, the light of course being Jesus Christ. You know, this is why we sing that old hymn, which says the whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. But the light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, His glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, tis shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now. I can see the light of the world is Jesus. The Bible tells us that he was the light and that the light shines in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. You know, uh Satan tries to keep the world in darkness and he tries to blind the uh the minds of those who otherwise would come to know Christ as personal savior. Uh, But Jesus, when he came, though Satan tried to keep it as dark and as dark, as dark as he possibly could, he could not comprehend or he could not overcome the light that Jesus brought into the world. Uh, The light of the world is Jesus, and it's why we celebrate Christmas and why Christmas is associated with lights and candles as we celebrate the light of the world, the entering Uh, of the light into a dark world of sin. Not only did John refer to Jesus as the light, but Jesus also alluded to this reference in John chapter 8, verse number 12. The Bible says that Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You know, it's interesting because Satan tries to duplicate everything that God has. And he, he, he makes it the opposite. You know, uh, recently the world went through a, 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 a period known as the period of, quote, Enlightenment. What the what what they mean by that whenever you hear that term well since the period of enlightenment the period of enlightenment simply means this that uh, uh, now we uh, believe in science and we've thrown God out because that was all superstition and um, you know the truth of the matter is God is light Jesus is light Um, I just want us to uh, observe this morning uh, Uh, Just consider a few observations about the light of the world, if you would, in regards to this holiday that we are celebrating this week. The first observation I want you to make about the light of the world is that his birth was largely ignored. The birth of Jesus Christ was largely ignored. The Bible tells us that in, in the book of Luke, matter of fact, let's just go ahead and turn To the book of Luke. The book of Luke. In the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And verse number 4. Luke chapter 2 verse number 4. The Bible says that Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea. Into the city of David which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for him in the inn. No room in the inn. And so Jesus was tucked away, and he was uh, kind of an outcast, if you will. Uh, Joseph and Mary, they were nobodies. And when they came to Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn. And we've covered all of this. And so Jesus was then born in a trough. He was born in a manger, a place where they would feed the animals. No room for him in the inn. You know, the Christmas story has been romanticized so that we have lost sight of the truth of what actually took place on that night. Even some of our best-known Christmas carols miss the mark and kind of romanticize the birth of the Savior. The truth of the matter is, his birth was largely ignored. The Christmas carol that came upon the midnight clear says that glorious song of old, From angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men. From heaven's all-gracious king. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. That part of it actually is not true. The world did not lay in solemn stillness to hear the angels sing. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the angels had to go out into a a field where they were shepherds abiding by their flock because the world largely ignored the birth of Jesus Christ. The world was too busy to be in solemn stillness. As a matter of fact, even today, if a church shows any kind of solemnity at all and honor and respect and reverence, Why, that church is deemed old-fashioned. We don't do that anymore. No more solemnity. As a matter of fact, some churches boast about it. No solemnity here. Come as you are. Be casual. Matter of fact, it's just kind of a party atmosphere. Kind of like a summer carnival, if you will. Because we don't want solemnity. You know why we're too busy. Because we're too comfortable in the things Of the world. You know, not only did Christ's birth go largely ignored, Jesus' salvation is largely ignored today, even by those who claim to know Christ as personal Savior. Just like the day that He was born, we just don't have time. We just don't have room in our busy schedules. We got so much going on, and, preacher, you just don't understand. I uh, can't make all the services because there's just so much going on. Too many things to do. we got to be here and we got to be there. You know, I think one of the things, one of the positives of this lockdown is we can't do all the things that we normally do during the holidays. Can't go to all, the, uh, to all of our business picnics and our business parties because we aren't having them. Can't go to all the family get-togethers because many families aren't having them. Well, here's a novel idea. Make room for Jesus this Christmas season. Allow him to be the priority this Christmas season. Don't allow his birth to be largely ignored like it was when it actually happened. By the way, where was Jesus born? Now, we could understand them ignoring his birth if he was born in, say, Egypt. I mean, Jesus is not the God of Egypt. He's the God of Israel. Why, it would be understood if Jesus was born, say, in Babylon or if he was born in some other place or some other province. But actually, the Bible says Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. You know, it's understandable that the lost world is too busy for Jesus. But I think it really hurts our Savior when his own are too busy for Jesus. It wasn't as if Jesus went to an inn in Egypt and asked to be born there. It was an inn in Bethlehem, the city of David, where 700 years prior, Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born there. You would think that there would be a standing reservation in Bethlehem for the Messiah to be born. Just like you would think that Christians of all people would give Jesus the Christmas season. A select few actually celebrated this miracle, but the world largely ignored it. Obviously, Mary and Joseph celebrated it. They were there for it. A handful of shepherds were given a heavenly announcement. We sang about that uh, this morning. And they were in the same country. We are told in Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. They were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field Not in a palace, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The Bible tells us that suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 16 says that they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So there were a handful of shepherds that celebrated it. An known, known number of wise men. I know we sing about we three kings or we three wise men because they brought the three gifts. We don't know if there was three. We don't know if there was 300. There's an un, it's just an uh, unknown number of wise men who came from the far east recognizing the sign of the star. Matthew chapter 2 records this for us, that they came to Jerusalem and shocked the entire city when they asked the question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Then the Bible says when Herod the king heard these things, he was greatly troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because the birth of the light of the world was largely ignored. When they brought Jesus in to be dedicated in the temple as a baby, the Bible tells us that no one there recognized him as the Messiah, as the King of Kings. You would think in the temple, you know, it's sad because in many churches, Jesus is not recognized. In many churches today, salvation is not even preached. In many churches today, the gospel is not even given. There, thus, the, the light of the world is not even present in many churches. But as Jesus was taken into the temple, well, the priests did not recognize him. The, uh, the Levites did not recognize him. But there was an old man by the name of Simeon. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him this is the Messiah. There was also a widow there by the name of Joanna who also had been given the revelation that this is the Messiah. But the world did not lie in solemn stillness the night that Jesus was born because the birth of the light of the world was largely ignored but there's a second observation that we can make this morning concerning the light of the world Jesus is the light of the world and not only was his birth largely ignored but secondly his life seemed irrelevant his life to most would seem irrelevant now we know little of the life of Jesus from his birth to the time that he was 30. But I think the song that was sung this morning probably, uh, probably describes much of it. The little boy from the carpenter shop. He was known as the son of the carpenter. Luke does give us a glimpse of the childhood in which we see a flicker of this light that would one day shine so brightly And there would be no denying it. In Luke chapter 2, which is where we are, and in verse number 41, the Bible gives us just a little glimpse into the childhood of Jesus. The Bible tells us that he was about 12 years old and his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Verse 42 tells us he was 12. They went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast and when they had fulfilled the days as they returned the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance and when they found him not Scripture tells us, when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold thy father, and I sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Why wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. Look at verse 51 says, And he went down with them and came to Jerusalem and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. So he went back to. His mundane life. Now, of course, this was all part of the plan. God gave them a little bit of a reminder there that this is the light of the world. But then the Bible says that Jesus became subject unto them and probably went back and went back to working in the carpenter shop with his dad, helping with the family business, but giving them a little warning here. This is not what I'm going to be doing for a living. But he went back to his unknown life. You know, the light was still obscured. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And that's what we're reading here. Jesus, uh, boy, uh, as he grew up, nothing spectacular about him. Verse 52 of Luke chapter 2 does tell us that he increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. But his life seemed, for the most part, irrelevant. Isaiah 53, verse number 12, Isaiah would prophesy about this again about 700 years before it would actually take place. And Isaiah says this, in Isaiah 53, 12, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant talking about the Messiah as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So, so a tender plant, meaning that nothing spectacular, a root out of dry ground meaning the very same thing. I mean, there are some plants that are in wet ground, and blind. you can see them, and there's something spectacular about them. But that was not the case when you physically looked at Jesus. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty. That's not to say he was, he was ugly. There was just nothing that stuck out about him. There should be no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Why, even his own parents, when they said, what are you doing here? Your mother, your your father and I, we've been looking everywhere for you. And he said, well, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And when they understood it, did not understand that, Jesus said, okay. The Bible says he was subject unto them, and he went home with them. No form nor comeliness. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Even his parents were guilty, at least at this point, of not lifting him up as the light Of the world. In Luke 9 58, Jesus said, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. This he told to a man, a scribe, who said, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, If you want to follow me for the glamour, there is no glamour. If you want to follow me for the money, there is no money. If you want to follow me because you want to be highly esteemed, you will not be highly esteemed. If you want to follow me for the, for the worldly glory and honor, he says, I want you to understand there is no worldly glory and there is no worldly honor. He says, as the king of kings and the lord of lords, I am regarded as less than the foxes and the birds of the air. For even they have homes, and I don't even have a place to lay my weary head. His birth was largely ignored. His life seemed irrelevant. Oh, but then we come to the third thing, the the third observation about the light of the world, and that is his ministry, which was irreversible. It was irreversible. So his birth was ignored, his life seemed irrelevant, but his ministry would be irreversible. You know, once his time was come, there was no ignoring the light. The Bible says that the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Boy, even as Satan tried to spread his darkness, there was just no denying the light. There was just no putting the light down. Uh, The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That means it could not overtake it. It could not hide it. It could not quench it. It could not stop it. John says in uh, John chapter 8, verse number 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You know, once you experience the light of Jesus Christ, it's hard to desire to go back into the darkness, the blindness. John would also write, Jesus says, I am come, a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. You know, the ministry of Jesus would not only allow people to see the light, but also light is revealing. Light is a revelation. And light is very, very uncomfortable when we've been in darkness. Have you ever been in a dark room, sleeping, and then somebody comes and turns the light on? And immediately it's not very comfortable. You know, it's kind of the feeling you get when you walk into a gospel preaching church for the very first time. And you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit and the light reveals to us who we are and what we are. It's kind of like someone has just come into the darkness of your room and you've been sleeping and you've been comfortable. And they turn on the light and they say, wake up, it's time to wake up. What is your first reaction? Turn out the light. Be quiet. I don't want to hear it. Oh, man, what time is it? And then someone will say, it's 20 minutes after the time you're supposed to get up. It can't be. That can't be true. I mean, it's so dark, and my eyes are so heavy, and and I can't see. Would you please just turn out the light? You know, that's the reaction that we have when the word of God is preached. That's the reaction the world has. Turn it off. Oh, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to see this. I don't want to know this. Which is why oftentimes we'll search for a church that's just a little bit darker. A little bit less convicted. A little bit more comfortable. Turn out the light. I don't want to have to get up. Because if I get up, that means I got some decisions that I need to make. That means I've got to get to work, and I just want to lay here in darkness. The world hated the light, but there was no denying it. Just like when someone comes and turns that light on in your bedroom, you cannot deny that light. You can't say, I don't believe it, it's not there. No, instead what you say is, get rid of it, because I don't want it. That's what conviction does. Once the light reveals, there's no covering the revelation. If the world hate you, Jesus said, you know that it hated me before it hated you. All these things will they do to you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sins. Okay, so now not only do we realize that the light of the world is uncomfortable to us because we just don't want to see it because uh, it's convicting, but also because it's revealing. My, you wake up in the morning. Finally, finally maybe you get the strength to say, fine, fine, I'll get up. And then you stagger into the bathroom and... You turn that light on. And, of course, it's even brighter in there because the lights are by the mirror, so it makes twice as many lights as what you have in your bedroom. And then you see that revelation. Oh, my word. I look like I've been sleeping all night. I look terrible. And then, again, you just want to turn the light off. But turning the light off does not change what you just saw. That's the truth. You can do one of two things. You can turn the light off. Or you can make some changes. You can grab the washcloth and grab the the comb. Or for some of you, the washcloth. You can grab the makeup, the paint... The deodorant, (laughs) turn on the shower, whatever it is you have to do, I have to change this revelation. That's what salvation is. Jesus reveals to us, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He says the reason they don't like me is because now there's no cloak. There's no covering. There's no darkness. They can't hide. The light of the world took that away. And now it's an irreversible revelation. Isn't it funny how freedom of expression in America today means the freedom to express your immorality. But how dare you? shed the light on that immorality why is that why is freedom of the free why is freedom of speech so one sided today because sinners want to live in darkness and they don't want the light revealing to them look at what the light says thou shalt not commit adultery the light says not to live in fornication the light says that you should not live in pride, that, uh, that uh, the pride of life, that's not of God, that's of the world. Boy, the, uh, the light says that, that, that lying is, is sinful. Boy, the light says uh, neglecting your spiritual life is wrong. John chapter 3, verse number 19, Jesus spells out why they hate the light. Because this is the condemnation, he says, that light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So this is is the condemnation. This is why they hate the light. Why they will hate the church that preaches the word of God. Why they will hate the Christian that lives the word of God. Because men's deeds are evil. That's why they like the darkness. His birth was largely ignored. His life seemed irrelevant. His ministry was irreversible. Once the light shines and reveals can't take that back the vision is there fourth his effect was inevitable boy the effect of the light was inevitable the bible says darkness comprehended it not jesus personal ministry lasted three and one half years But the effects of this ministry will last forever. 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating his birth. 2,000 years later, we still celebrate his resurrection every single Sunday. 2,000 years later, we're still reading his words and we're still trying to live by them and abide by them and be pleasing to him. My, his personal ministry, it only lasted three years, three and a half years But the effects of his ministry will last forever. In John chapter 9, verse number 5, he said this He said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus physically is not in the world today, but he still is in the world through his Holy Spirit and through his church and through his children. See, he would pass on the duty of being the light to his believers. And then he would challenge his believers, join a church, and show that bright light to the world. The 12 apostles would be that first church. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says that God has set some in the church. First, the apostles. And then Jesus would say to them in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 14, ye are the light of the world so he said as long as i am in the world i am the light of the world but now here in matthew chapter 5 the sermon on the mount he says the day's coming when i'm passing that torch to you to 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 fellow believers you are the light of the world and then he gives them some instruction as far as how they are to let their light shine First of all, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. In other words, people will try to tell you all the time, you can't talk religion. You can't talk about Jesus. Uh, It's a personal thing. But Jesus says, no, if you have the light, you're supposed to be set on a hill so people can see. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. Okay, so we are that, that light, that candle. And God says, you're not supposed to be incognito. You're not supposed to cover that light. Well, we don't want people to know that we're Christians. And we want to give the world. As a church, we want to give the world what they like so that they'll want to come. Jesus says, you don't do that. You don't put your light under a bushel. Or you don't hide your light in the world. Instead, he says... You put it on a candlestick, which, by the way, ought to be the first act that a Christian performs once he becomes the light of the world. You accept Christ as your personal Savior. You're scripturally baptized, and you're added to a local church, which the book of Revelation tells us is the candlestick. And so a Christian is challenged by God. You don't hide your light in the world. You don't uh, be incognito. You place it up on a hill so that the world can see it. You place it on a candlestick, that church where it can shine brightest and it giveth light to all the house. And then he says, after giving those instructions, you let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Jesus would light these 12 men, set them on a candlestick. The church, as we read, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, God has set some in the church, first the apostles. So Jesus would light these 12 men, these apostles, and set them on a candlestick, the church, and let them loose on the world. And the New Testament would say that they turned the world upside down because the ministry of Jesus Christ was irreversible it was inevitable and as these men would witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth the light of the world would continue to shine brightly in the churches of Jesus Christ so no matter what the powers that be try to do the darkness cannot comprehend Or prevent the light from shining. Communist China. There are churches everywhere. Even though it's illegal. To be a part of a church. To meet in a church. I've had friends who have gone to places like communist Vietnam. And and places where it's illegal. And churches are flourishing. They're going through persecution, but they're growing like wildfire. You know, here's the thing, and we've seen this throughout the last 2,000 years of history of the church that no matter the powers that be, they'll try to stomp that fire out and it'll just spread. Look what happened in Jerusalem when persecution came to the church there in Jerusalem. They tried to stamp that fire out. And what happened? It just spread to Samaria. It spread throughout Judea. It spread to Antioch. And then it spread to the uttermost parts of the world. It went to Ephesus. And and there in Asia, the seven churches we read about in the book of Revelation. My, how the light just spread. No matter what the powers that be try to do the darkness cannot comprehend or prevent or overtake the light from shining. And Jesus ministry illustrated that that the light shineth in darkness but the darkness comprehended it not. In Acts chapter 5 verse number 28. As that church is getting going in Jerusalem, the elders arrested the apostles and said, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. The light is everywhere. And that's what happens. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Now, when you admire the beautiful Christmas lights at this time of year, as they light up the countryside, let us not forget that this was inevitable. Because though the birth was largely ignored, his life seemed irrelevant. The effect of his ministry was irreversible. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin and the light of the world is Jesus. No need of the sunlight in heaven, we're, we're told, and in heaven because the light of the world is Jesus. You know, Revelation 21, verse number 23 says this, that one day as we are in heaven, there will be no need for the sun. The city, the Bible says, had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb Is the light thereof. What a beautiful metaphor to be used of our Savior. He brings light to a dark world, He opens the eyes of the blind. That is true enlightenment. Have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Let me ask you this. Does it feel uncomfortable to be around the preaching of God's word? Does it make you angry? Does it make you squeamish? Does it make you wish it would just end? Maybe it's because darkness is preferred. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed with every head bowed and every eye closed,